State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's good, everybody? It is our favorite time of the year here at the Black Effect. We're heading down to Atlanta for the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival. And we're not going alone. Nissan is back as our partner, and they're continuing their Pitch Your Podcast Lounge at the festival, where you'll have the opportunity to pitch your podcast idea live and share it with the Black Effect team. So get those podcast ideas ready. And remember, you can count on Nissan to dial up the thrill in your adventures, no matter where life takes you. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. Hey, hey, what's up, y'all? My next guest, Dr. Rachel Allen, she is a licensed holistic psychologist, and she's been in the game over 20 years. I mean, she's just so amazing that we could not wait to have her on today's show. So just pull up a seat or turn the volume up in the car on your ride home, you know, get your teacup, your coffee cup or whatever it is that you do for your pleasure and listen up to this next episode of Checking In. You guys, of course, it is another wonderful episode of Checking In with Michelle Williams. We are so glad that you are here. Today's guest is absolutely fabulous and amazing. The conversation we had before this interview became official is very indicative of what this is going to be. She's been a licensed holistic psychologist for over 20 years writer, retreat leader, and mm -hmm, pleasure expert. Please welcome Dr. Rachel Allen to checking in. Hello. Welcome. Michelle. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The pleasure is all mine (laughs) to get to be here today. I have to, I have to insert the word pleasure as much as possible. right? Of course. Of course. My mind is already racing as it relates to the word pleasure. Let me break that down because I grew up in church and we weren't taught about pleasure if we were it was a sin yep yep it's, it's been <laughs> taboo uh, it's been demonized i mean what i think is kind of unfortunate is that pleasure is really healing it's a life force energy it can increase empathy it's this regenerative concept and so that's part of why i love talking about it, is to help to kind of cast away that old spell that it's you know naughty and lavish and indulgent and really show that mm. it's actually very healing Absolutely. Now, pleasure can come from different forms, obviously not just sexually, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, it's going to be pretty hard to have sexual pleasure if you haven't been able to be in your pleasures in other aspects of your life, whether it be nature or food or creativity, you know, or enjoying moments in your body being in water, all these different things. And so that's one of my points as I talk about how in American culture, there's been this reductionist attitude that it is just about sex or even in the word like sensuality we've turned that into a word about sex when really it's actually about our senses (laughs) like literally so yeah pleasure is about a lot of different things but really the most important thing is can we give ourselves permission which is something a lot of 
women can struggle with. As you can see, we came in fully going. She has a book <laughs> called The Pleasure Is All Yours. But since we're going there, let's go there. Growing up as a woman of faith, maybe sex was talked about, you know, if you do it outside of marriage, it's sin, but nothing was ever talked about. Like, actually you do have hormones. So maybe even if you're not married, you're going to have that urge. You're going to want to do it. There's parts of you that want to be touched, held, kissed, affirmed pleasure. You want pleasure for women. Why is it that maybe we find that we can only give pleasure, but not to receive it. Well, I think that it has been a product of the patriarchy and that it's that women are there to serve and to benefit the men that they're supporting. And then there's messages that, you know, people, women should feel guilty or ashamed for having their own needs. I mean, and this happens with people, not just about sex and pleasure, but just even taking a nap or giving themselves, you know, rest or just saying, you know, no, I'm not able to do the carpool extra days or whatever it may be. There's all these ways in which it can just be hard for women to say, you know what, these are my boundaries. These are my limitations. I need to give to myself. So of course it's that much harder to also prioritize and listen to like our boundaries and our body boundaries, our needs, our wants, our desires when it comes to sex. Cause you get the double whammy. You get basically the guilt for wanting to give to yourself and the guilt for the fact that it's something related to erotic energy and sexuality. Mm, amazing. And y'all, I mentioned that she's been a licensed holistic psychologist for over 20 years. Can you tell us the difference between a holistic psychologist versus your traditional? psychologist. Yeah. I mean, I think holistic is really, it means that you also integrate Eastern and Western. So Western medicine, as well as with Eastern philosophies. So that could be Buddhist psychology. It could be yoga therapy. It could be Ayurvedic medicine. It could be, you know, maybe other Zen concepts. And also it means for me, Holistic also means I include the mind and the body. So, of course, a lot of my work is we talk because there's, mm -hmm. you know, the brain is obviously wise, has a lot of insights. But we now know that there's a lot of trauma, past trauma that, that gets stuck in the body that doesn't get healed through talking and through those normal, more traditional channels in psychotherapy. So you have to engage the body through listening to the language of the body, through movement, through different ways of, you know, breathing or moving or being outside self-soothing in the body, releasing the past trauma. So as a mind-body psychologist, as a holistic psychologist, I integrate both East and West and the mind and the body. Because when we integrate and we synthesize, then we get to benefit from all the different you know, teachings, all the different things we know. So why limit ourselves to just focusing on like one type of medicine and just in more of our mental brain? Because mm -hmm. we have other brains in our body. We have other parts of our body that are wise. And when we invite them into the conversation in psychotherapy and in psychology, then we're really like it's full integration, like truly lasting change can happen. Mm. When you see, say, how depression and anxiety is dealt with in the more traditional medicinal sense. What happens to you when you see it? Well, I, I really, everybody's different. I mean, that's, you know, like we're all our own snowflake. Everybody's mm. snowflakes are like, and, and if we look at pharmaceuticals, for example, you know, a lot of people might say things about big pharma and the problems there. Now, there's a time and a place for people to be on pharmaceuticals, especially, you know, certain things like we talk about psychosis or people are in, in grave harm of hurting themselves or hurting other people. And then there's a lot of, 
situations that pharmaceutical medications, for example, cannot help. If you have relational trauma that goes back to neglect or abandonment or attachment issues of a child, that medicine is going to be probably a really flimsy band-aid on helping you cope with why your relationships as an adult aren't working. A lot of pharmaceuticals, the best they can do for situations like that, they might help a little bit with sleep, a little bit with appetite, but they're not going to help with like your core underlying wounds as far as your trust for other people, trust in yourself, or the way that that old trauma is living in your body, in your nervous system reactivity. Listen, you are already a friend to checking in. One of our previous friends, Dr. Caroline Leaf says, you cannot medicate trauma. Mm. Yeah. And that's what we have been doing or we have been recipients of. I'll never forget about four years ago, I asked my psychiatrist, I asked her her thoughts on CBD oil because I had heard wonderful stories about it. And surprisingly, she said, oh, I tell my clients about it all the time. Matter of fact, here's a card of someone you can go to to get it. I said, what? <laughs> Here I am thinking that psychiatrists or medical physicians, other, you know, I'm thinking they get kickbacks from pharmaceuticals if they're always prescribing a Zoloft, a, a Lexapro, Paxil, all the other ones, you know. Yeah. But she was okay and sent me to the place where I needed to go to get something that is considered a holistic medicine. Right. And it's legal. CBD oil is completely legal. I mean, I'm I'm also a big believer in what we're discovering about psychedelic assisted psychotherapy and that a lot of those are not legal yet. That's a whole nother frontier and another renaissance that I just wrote an article in psychology today just about ayahuasca, which more and more people are speaking out about and how that's life changing. So if we really think about holistic, being a holistic psychologist, we probably then also need to keep weaving in what we're discovering about um, psychedelic assisted therapy as well. And, you know, that, that might be a whole nother show <laughs> to go into. It could be because I would tell you, is that the one where people kind of go through a process? <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, they call ayahuasca is considered like the grandmother. Like she is the grand pooba, like of all of the psychedelics. That's the one Aaron Rodgers, the football player, just spoke out about it recently. A lot of other celebrities have as well. It's you drink, it's like you drink a tea and you're Mm -hmm. part of a ceremony and you really download a lot. It takes you out of your ego. It helps with ego dissolution, the more dysfunctional ego. So it helps with that sense of separateness or when it's like me versus you or a need to be right. And we all know that there's a lot of division in our culture. And so what's amazing is that Some of these medicines, psilocybin, which is in mushrooms also, those are the two main ones that I've studied and and researched and know a lot about, but it really helps with people when they have this, you know, criticism towards self or lack of forgiveness, but also that division with others. Mm, They're all different. It's like, again, it's maybe a whole nother show, but I, when I think of being a holistic psychologist, I've made it my job to also really learn about some of this plant medicine. To me, it's not drugs, it's plant medicine. So for some people, I do embodiment practices with them. For some people, I might refer them to the medically licensed place that does ayahuasca. Yes, everybody, please be careful. Do all of this under the care of someone licensed and Mm -hmm. certified to help you should you choose the holistic Way And should you choose the traditional medicinal way, as they say, always seek the advice of a professional. Right, right. Which is where, you know, it can sometimes make me nervous when there are 
some people getting all their medical advice, you know, off of a TikTok video, which, you know, there's certainly some really good advice out there. But then, like you said, you know, take maybe you see the video on TikTok, but then go consult with some people who are, you know, are trained before you maybe do try certain treatment or try certain psychedelic or a medication, of course. Absolutely. Another popular one is ashwagandha. Yeah, ashwagandha, which is a that comes from a root that's totally legal. But yeah, also good to just make sure that you're following the instructions on the bottle. But you can get that yeah. over the counter. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, and it's not my area of expertise, all of like the supplements. I certainly ones related to mental health. I certainly like to know a lot about. But I mean, that one, it can be taken on your own. Some of those other psychedelics, you know, you do it with a shaman or with a, a psychologist. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. Zach Alexander, he's a shadow coach. He was on here a couple of weeks ago as well, speaking of his experience with a shaman. That is, I think, the cool thing about checking in, the variety of people that come on this show, because I know I have a variety of listeners and two, it opens up the realm of people's thought process and like, wow, this is what's out here. This works for me. This is probably what doesn't. And so I thank you for sharing what you've shared. But again, listeners are, we must say anything that is discussed on this show between me and Dr. Rachel Allen, make sure that you take this information to your doctor or your psychiatrist or your licensed holistic specialist. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, everybody, this is Carrie Champion, and I'm here to announce that the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards on April 27th. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support Black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with your Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and have it shared with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event you want to be at. You don't want to miss it because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. You are a relationship and intimacy specialist. Yeah, yeah, all that good stuff. (laughs) Helping couples cope with mood and life transitions. When you say coping with mood and life transitions, what are we talking about here? 
Well, you know, it's like the only constant is change. And so uh, when we think about first the individual, I think we all know that as an individual, of course, we go through our ups and downs and our changes, but same with Mm. couples. And I think what's hard is that people can meet, come together, agree, you know, for a partnership. And then maybe one person goes through changes and transitions and the other one doesn't, or they're not really on that path together. And so really trying to kind of bring the other person alongside us on our, on our path and on our journey and, and to try to learn and have, you know, have the relationship be a mirror so that we can be even better as individuals ourselves. Key sentence. So that you're on the path together, even though you are individuals. So that leads me to this next question. When people say, we just grew apart, did you just stop growing together on that path? Or is there a such thing as growing apart? Well, I think it takes commitment and work. I mean, it's I always say that uh, any sort of relationship, whether it be marriage or just any other commitment, it's a constantly evolving contract that you need to keep checking in with the other person. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens is over time, we can get lazy. We can just kind of get into our own groove. I mean, our culture is always telling us to be working more. You know, this hustle culture makes it hard for people to stop and have a lot of those check-ins and can bring the other person along with them on kind of some of the things that they're that are changing within them. So you have to like really actively make the choice that like you're going to, as things change for you, as you go through your transitions, as you go through loss, mm. like, are you really talking about that with your partner? Are you trying different things with them? Are you engaging in embodied activities together rather than just going through the motions and becoming roommates? Woo. <laughs> yes. I hear people say it's like we're just roommates. Mm-hmm. We check on each other check on the kids or whatever, but yeah, nothing here. It can be really transactional in a right when we're busy. We're just like in our to-do list and especially raising kids. It's like, it can be relationships can become really transactional. And I think that's sad because we want relationships. We want them to be soulful, right? We want them to be more spiritual. We want them to be like, really, you know, have intimacy, emotional, physical intimacy. We want that connection and that passion. But if we're just sort of, it's just this transaction, okay, you're going to pick up the kids or I'll grab the groceries or, and that's how what it becomes. And it's, you know, it's understandable. I'm not blaming anybody. It's like, we're busy. We're just trying to survive and just get through the day. Mm-hmm. So that's what leads people to, to fall apart or to grow apart. And, you know, sometimes actually having space is the best thing for the relationship. I mean, Sometimes there is just going to be that ebb and flow. And since I also specialize in sexual health, I also try to normalize that for couples too. Like there's nothing wrong with you. If you're not in the mood that week or that month, say, you know, you had a loss in your family or something really hard happened, or you're, you need to move through some of the stuff on your own and you're not your body and you're not feeling erotically kind of open to somebody else. That is okay. Like there's no shame in that either, just as there shouldn't be any shame for the fact that you do have desire and, and it might not be the same mm. partners. What is one of the tips that you give a couple to where, because you can say that, but what if that person feels rejected? Mm-hmm, right. So what if I say, honey, I'm not erotically open at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Nobody probably really talks that way. Uh, But exactly. You know, I think that first of all, people don't talk about it. They usually try to mind read. So even just to like say, you know, hey, you know what? This is what I'm going through. You know, whenever we share our boundaries and limits, people are actually tend to be really receptive. I think it's hard. Sometimes people, if they haven't had boundaries, just say they're yes or they're no. They're afraid to do it. But especially the way that we say it, if we're like, you know, right now I'm working through some shit. I got to take care of this. Like I'm really wiped out or I'm, I just, I need to some time for myself, but you're inviting the person in 
to your journey by just letting them know, giving them that heads up and then checking in with them. Because then most people are like, you know what? Yeah, take care of yourself. Like, I'm here for you. Just let me know how I can best support you. Then they'll be like, and let me know when you're ready to be erotically open. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'm open. <laughs> exactly. So that being the case, I, I know I can speak for me personally. I love when a person lets me learn about them by saying and communicating by saying, Michelle, man, I, I've had a rough day today. Maybe let's talk tomorrow versus their behavior showing you they don't want to talk. I don't like that. Tell me you don't want to, because then, like you said, I'll be reading your mind or will I be overthinking the behavior? Then will I take it personal? Then will I overprocess? Then feel rejection? Now that's me going all in my head right? versus us getting the courage. But I think mm, this is so layered of both people being safe people to allow the person. Because what if someone does tell you, Rachel, I don't want to talk today, but you respond, well, why don't you want to talk today? I talk to you. You're kind of not the safe person for that person to tell you a boundary or to be open. What is being safe? How important is being a safe person in relationship? Yeah. Well, I think ideally the other person, we feel emotional safety. I mean, that's because that's our foundation. Like everything else really emerges from like when we feel some sense of like security, right? Creativity emerges, uh, being open and vulnerable emerges, taking risks emerges when we feel safe so that it is pretty huge. But I always like to say that if we ultimately feel power and agency within our own self to cope, to ride the wave of what comes our way, including other people, maybe not taking what we have to say and, and being kind with it. If we're able to ride the wave and cope with that within, then we have more confidence that, you know, hey, if I do share something and the person isn't going to be that as receptive, I can walk away. I cannot take it personally or, I, you know, I know I'm going to be able to handle it. Mm. But yeah, ideally in a perfect world, like this is somebody else who can handle our vulnerability. They're not going to use it against us. They're not going to judge us. But also if they do, we can kind of have just integrity within ourselves and know that's about them. That's okay. not about us and how we feel being bad or wrong. Mm. A little pivot here. Have you seen... Within the 20 years of you being an expert in your field, the impact that social media could play on relationships or does it? Oh, well, I mean, definitely. I think there's been a lot of talk, of course, about how it impacts people, relationships as far as friendships of feeling maybe left out or feeling comparison. As far as romantic relationship goes, I mean, there's there's a lot of talk just about how screens are a big problem. You know, people are rolling over and turning to their screens instead of their beloved at night. That's I mean, it happens all the time. But we've also been dealing with that just with TV screens and bringing the computer into the bedroom. And I think it's because people are tired when they're exhausted at the end of the day. All they want to do is numb out, right? When they just want to look okay. control. And so I think the the greater problem is why aren't we more like Europe? Why don't we have more? time off, vacation time. We, you know, encourage time with friends and family, long meals together instead of this hustle, like be on the go, capitalism pushing us. So, so of course, by the end of the day, if we, all we can do is look at social media because that's all we have energy for versus, mm. you, you know, have like a deeper heart to heart conversation with our partner. You are so right. I was in Australia 
not too long ago and there was a family having breakfast beside me and me and the wife, we were talking and she was actually apologizing to me because she thought her youngest was being a little rambunctious. And I was like, no, no, no. She was telling me what they were doing. They're on a six week vacation. Get this, because her husband's job offers paternity leave Uh. for six weeks. So wow. when the baby got old enough that they could travel, he's now using, he used his six week break. So they were in Australia, London, Shanghai. They were about to leave from Australia to travel to LA and then go cross country to New York and then back to London all in six weeks. And I was like, what? Connection? Yeah. With one another, and she said, she has two younger kids. She said, honey, these are pandemic babies. Because she has like a 15-year-old. Then these two younger babies. Oh. <sighs> so I was like, y'all seem to be connecting quite well. <laughs> but you were just saying paternity leave. Right, right. There are just so many things. I mean, the first third of my book, it's there's three sections. The first section of my book talks about like, how did we get here? How did we get to this place in the United States that we are so disconnected from our bodies, from each other, from feeling just presence and ease in our bodies and being able to have time and energy. And I think, yeah, it's because in the US, it's like we worship capitalism and money and that drive and that go, go, go and always do more. So we don't stop and rest. We don't take time to be. We're always doing. Got it. So is that what you mean in your amazing book, The Pleasure is All Yours, which was based off of your amazing 2019 TEDx talk on bodyfulness? Is that what you mean? Or can you give our listeners a description on bodyfulness? Yeah. Bodyfulness, really, the, the quickest summary is that it is reclaiming joys and pleasures in our life and in our embodiment after trauma. Because we all know that when there is major stress and trauma, we get disconnected from the body and it's hard to feel good again. That's just by the very nature of trauma. But it's really about having embodied mindfulness and then knowing what to do with that because we know we need more than mindfulness. We need to be, do more than just be in our head. So bodyfulness is really a system of like listening to our body's language, knowing what to do with that information as far as movements and breathing and shaking and exercise and release. I always say expression, not repression. Because then it regulates us and that opens us up to feeling some of that joy and pleasure that we can in nature, in our bodies, in our relationships. Because I was certainly going to ask, what is a way that a person can release stress from their body? And you just said expression, not repression. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I love because there can be such repression. Some of the roots of the United States is all on just kind of puritanical and be like buttoned up. I always say like, rather than release your emotions, just Mm. have a stiff upper lip or a stiff drink instead. And so expression, not repression is about, it is okay to be human. Part of being human means that you sometimes need to, to cry or let out a sigh, or you need to express big feelings, or, you know, you need to go kind of shake it out or you, you know, you need to let things out. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, you know, how people, you can't, we can't be mind readers. So also the more that we're expressing versus repressing just in our relationships, you know, showing how we're feeling, connecting to the emotions in our body and releasing them through sweat, through sighing, through tears, through movement, through, you know, sometimes it's with 
finding containment, having a weighted blanket to make us feel safe. Or sometimes it's about bawling or raging. I mean, we've been told that these are bad things, but human beings are meant to move this through. I mean, think of all we absorb, but then we can't keep it all bottled up. We have to to let it out. So that's where the stress can leave rather than get stuck in our nervous system and in our connective tissue. Rachel, you just gave us our sound bite. (laughs) (laughs) Expression, not repression. That is absolutely profound because I know there's wisdom in holding something in for the right time to maybe release it because every time ain't the right place yeah. to release it. Be okay? discerning, That's- right? If you're yeah. in the middle of a meeting, you can't like flip out at your boss, maybe. <laughs> They'll be blaming you. Be like, Dr. Allen said expression, not repression. <laughs> Ma'am, you're still fired. Yeah. Please get your belongings. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yo, I'm hype. The Black Effect is live. This April 27th, the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed down to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with the Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and share it with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event to be at. You will not want to miss this. Because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. I say all the time, sometimes people think trauma is just blood and guts on a sidewalk, which that's very graphic, but that is a type of trauma, meaning maybe you saw a car accident or that's actual trauma inflicted on a person where you do, unfortunately, blunt force trauma. We know that's, Mm -hmm. but what other types of trauma are there. Yeah. There can be like a single incident trauma that can be something like a car accident, witnessing or be in it. And then there can be also like more chronic, like ongoing trauma. Mm. Like if somebody is in say a relationship where there's some sort of physical or emotional or sexual abuse, you know, that continues for years while they're in that relationship. And I think we we talked a little bit before about like relational trauma that can relate to our caregivers growing up. Like were we neglected? Were we abandoned? Was there manipulation? Did we have secure attachment? And that's what I do a lot as a relationship therapist is help people as adults understand the relational trauma that they had as kids. Mm. And there can be collective trauma. Like for example, what's been going on in the last couple of years, as far as 
as both the pandemic and racial reckoning that is, you know, impacting everybody differently, but collectively in the U.S., there is this impact. And so that trauma is showing up in people's lives and bodies in different ways. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that because people who are considering some type of help, whether it's through therapy, yoga, someone might tell them, especially when they begin to tell you their story. And I wonder, has it ever happened to you where you say, well, you know, that's a form of trauma and they're actually shocked that you use the word trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everybody's a member of the club. <laughs> Because if we include intergenerational trauma, I didn't, I didn't mention that a moment ago, but that's, we all have intergenerational trauma too, that it really, so what that means is that our ancestors left kind of an imprint on our DNA. So it affects like kind of the expression of our DNA and how we might respond to things, even the ways in which in utero, in our mom's womb, you know, the kind of stress that happened there, that can be also a type of trauma that impacts us differently, but it's really an important thing that I think as science has uncovered is that like we all do have intergenerational trauma that's different based on our ancestry, but that it's really important to recognize that we can't leave that out as well. Wow. Absolutely amazing, impactful. We've got to do a part two to this. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Can you leave us? With a story, because in your book, The Pleasure is All Yours, you do weave together stories that are backed by science mm -hmm. to explain bodyfulness. Maybe just a snippet of what you mean by that or one of the stories you tell. Yeah, well, I, I've worked with actually some women that had a group and it was a, like a six week group and really it was to deal with like body image issues and emotional eating and just the relationship with food and relationship with their body. I taught them bodyfulness. And, you know, this was kind of more of a, it's a collective story of the collective, but a lot of these women, they all reported that they weren't in this more reactive kind of impulsive place as far as their relationship to food to numb them, that through bodyfulness, that they were able to kind of stop and like connect to the underlying visceral emotions in their body. And that said, like, what do I really need right now? Or like, what is this really about? Like, rather than immediately like reach for the snacks or to reach for the chocolate, that there was this way of seeing that this had been like food had been like love. It had and also been a way to kind of numb these underlying feelings that they weren't enough. And mm. that was such a theme that came up with so many of them and that they now were able to be more in this place of self-regulation in their body where like rather than reactively turning to like to food or hating on their body, they would actually stop and like bring their hands to their heart and like just notice their feet on the ground and kind of reorient to the space rather than time travel to this reactive pattern of turning to food like they've done since they were a little girl. And they started doing ways of like moving in their body, feeling good in their body. You know, maybe it would be a walk or maybe it would be just shaking or a few stretches or even just connecting to their senses and getting some essential oils or something that was soft to touch. And they found ways to self-soothe initially rather than immediately kind of reach for the binge. That was a really powerful group of women. And then I did more series of these series with bodyfulness and body image and emotional eating. And so it ended up being a life practice that, you know, that maybe sometimes I did turn to food and it was something that was going to be just kind of like, ah, screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to have this. I don't care, which is fine. Right. Everything in moderation, but they didn't have this consistent way of having food be this way to cover up the underlying things that needed attention, these emotions that needed attention that, mm. they, that were in their body, that then they were compassionate with themselves 
about. So a lot of bodyfulness is also like, not only what is your body telling you? Because our bodies are so wise. We have a heart brain, we have a gut brain, but not only like, what is it telling you, but how can you be really like sweet and compassionate? Because those are older wounds that are coming up that just want attention and want to move through. Wow. Thank you so much. I don't know if it's because I'm 43, but I've been craving tomatoes and I don't know what that is telling me <laughs> in my body. I kind of looked it up. It, it says something about anemia and I do kind of battle, but literally tomatoes, whether it's sliced tomatoes, I could order breakfast, but I've been asking, can I get a plate of sliced tomatoes? Yeah. Hey, that's a healthier craving than what most people would say. You're not saying I want a you know, big old bin of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Yeah, that I I do understand what you're saying. I'm trying to donuts, the frosted donuts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing I'm not a fan of saying good, bad, right, wrong foods. I say there's no food that's bad unless you are severely allergic, but it's more about noticing like, oh, the craving within your body is a way that the body is wisely talking to you. And so that's a good example of like the inner listening, like embodied mindfulness. What is my body telling me here? And then how can I find that action to like do something about it? Have the tomato or maybe it's about, yeah, something else is like missing within me emotionally or physically or nutrition wise, but it's good. Michelle, you were, you're listening to your body. Yeah. You're being compassionate. Absolutely. You're like, I'm going to have the tomatoes, right? And like, that's, it's as simple as that, but not everybody does that because they get stuck in their heads. I am going to have the tomatoes. Then I go get those dark chocolate donuts. And then ah. I'm like, you know what? The dark chocolate is an antioxidant. That is true. That is true. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Dr. Rachel, you have been absolutely phenomenal. You guys, I want everybody to support. The pleasure is all yours. Can you tell us where we can find you from today on into beyond? Yeah. Well, I got my website, of course, drrachelallen.com. And the and the book, The Pleasure is All Yours, is still available at most major booksellers and Amazon or from my publisher, which is Shambhala Press. And um, they're a division of Penguin Random House. So you can get it through them. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I got it. My Instagram is also Dr. Rachel Allen. You guys, the spelling is A-L-L-Y-N. Yeah. Rachel, Dr. Rachel Allen, R-A-C-H-E-L-A-L-L-Y-N. You have been a pleasure, a wonderful guest, just so insightful. And we are so glad that you checked in with us today. Yeah, no, this has been fun. We, yeah, we need to have part two because we could talk way more about relationships, more about pleasure practices, movement as medicine. We can go there. So I want to see you again. <laughs> pleasure practices. What is that? We ain't going to talk about it. Just tell us what it is oh. and then we're going to go. Well, it can be different for everybody, but basically like what are sprinkling in these little pleasures throughout your day? It might be picking up that magazine. It might be taking a hot bath. It might be having that bite of dark chocolate. It could be putting on like kind of your comfiest outfit. Um, it could be snuggling, taking a break to snuggle with your pet. It is just receiving for, especially for women, we got to receive. It's like, we deserve to receive. And the more that we receive and have these pleasure practices, the more that we can do that for others. Oh my gosh. I am marking all of this down. Cause I'm like, amazing, amazing receive. to post, amazing <laughs> to talk about pleasure practices. So y'all today, if you've been ashamed or feeling like you don't deserve it, listen, we're not little kids, right? We're not on punishment, okay? No one is perfect. I'm all about progress and not perfection, right? So yeah. definitely, if you've had once one baby step of progress today, go ahead and practice pleasure, all right? 
Reward yourself with something that's not, prayerfully, it doesn't bring no harm to you or anybody else. So go for it. Again, Dr. Allen, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Michelle. This has been so much fun. Amazing. Okay, y'all, listen. More and more women are supporting each other. We're getting stronger as a group as we learn to accept our flaws, our appearances, aging, relationship imperfections, and whatever it is. I'm loving the collaboration versus competition. I'm loving the inspiration versus being envious of one another. And I think after today's episode, I just loved how she left us with a few nuggets as it relates to pleasure practices. But we we are so excited because when you hear the word pleasure, you automatically think of something sexual or you think of overeating or no, it doesn't have to be any of that. I think pleasure is something It doesn't bring harm to you, nor does it bring harm to myself. And knowing that we do deserve to also enjoy the fruits of your labor. So if you worked hard from Monday through Friday and you and your girls or you and your boys decide on Saturday, y'all going to go out or I was so excited and I was in Houston. I love the post Oak and there was a group of girls at a table for brunch, just having a tea party. And I thought, how wonderful is that? So that's what I'm going to think of when I think of pleasure practices. And like I said, I meant it, guys. Treat yourself this week. Treat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. All right. So just enjoy the fruit of your labor and enjoy, enjoy a little pleasure. All right. You've worked for it. You deserve it. You've gone through hell and you've lived to tell the story. You've survived. So I'm going to say, eat that honey bun. Plant-based or not, go for it. Man, have that burger. Get that extra cheese and that garlic aioli. Slather it on there. All right? But make sure you go for a walk afterwards. Health is also well. (laughs) All right. Love you guys. Checking In with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's good, everybody? It's our favorite time of the year here at the Black Effect. We're headed down to Atlanta for the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival, and we're not going alone. Nissan is back as our partner, and they're continuing their Pitch Your Podcast Lounge at the festival, where you'll have the opportunity to pitch your podcast idea live and share it with the Black Effect team. So get those podcast ideas ready. And remember, you can count on Nissan to dial up the thrill in your adventures, no matter where life takes you. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details.